0: Good morning. Let me uh, extend a welcome to you as well, um, especially if you are new or visiting downtown Perez. This morning we know that we have several families who are visiting us and we especially want to say welcome to you. We are delighted you're here and we pray that you are doing well. If you and I have not met before, my name is Adam Radcliffe and I am one of the pastors on staff here. And this is the first Sunday that I've been able to say that. And as many of you know, I was ordained and installed as an assistant pastor here last Sunday night, and they said, hey, why don't you preach uh, this coming Sunday? So here we are. Uh, they're, they're putting me to work uh, right away. But I, I just want you to know um, from both Natalie and myself that we are so thankful for your love and support and encouragement of us over these past several months. We feel your love and are so grateful that we have an opportunity to serve alongside you in making Jesus known here in Greenville. And I am thrilled and just a little bit terrified that I am one of your pastors, but you can pray often for me. Uh God has been gracious. But well, we are going to continue our study through the book of Acts this morning. And if you haven't been here the past uh few months, we've been slowly working our way through through this book, hitting some of the some of the high points. And if you're not that familiar with the Bible, uh Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it serves in many ways as the bridge to the rest of the New Testament. And Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, is also the writer of this book. So it's like volume two, if you will, of Luke's writings. And, and in, this, in this book, Luke is giving us a faithful account of the spread of the Gospel, which is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's the good news of what God in Christ has done for us. And Luke tells us that it begins in Jerusalem, in Israel, and it's spreading throughout the entire Roman Empire, and people are turning to Jesus in faith. And churches, new churches are being formed and established through the whole empire in different cities throughout the world. It's an amazing book. But another thing that we learn from studying the book of Acts is that the gospel is not always popular. That the good news of Jesus is not always believed. That though there is faith, there's also opposition. And we've already looked at some of it it throughout the past few months. That the apostles were arrested and Stephen and James were killed. Peter's in prison. Paul's left for dead in Lystra. And we're even going to see some of that suffering here this morning there was real persecution. There was real suffering in the early days of the Christian church. And yet, in spite of it, the gospel continues to advance. And the good news of Jesus is proclaimed throughout the world. And it continues to today. This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, where the apostle Paul, along with Silas, Timothy, and Luke, are in a city called Philippi. And Luke tells us that Philippi is a leading city in that region and it's in modern day Greece. So this is the first time, the first time that the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed on the continent of Europe. So just think about the implications that has for us today living in America. The first time the gospel is proclaimed in Europe. And as I was thinking and praying and preparing this past week for today, I kept coming back to the same theme. Just couldn't seem to shake it. And it ties in with what Brian was preaching on last week. So if you weren't here last week, Brian preached on Acts chapter 15, uh, what's known as the Jerusalem Council. And his main point in that sermon was that the gospel, the good news is actually good. That it's good for us. That it's simply Jesus That's not Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus performance or law-keeping or Jesus plus family of origin or Jesus plus baking your own bread, but it's simply Jesus. It's his life, death, and resurrection for us, period. That's the good news. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone That's the gospel. And when that when that gospel, when that good news really gets down deep into our hearts, it begins to change us. We're freed from trying to earn God's favor because in Christ Jesus we are we already have it. We're free from trying to please people all the time, to win their approval, because in Christ Jesus we have the Father's approval. We are given hope and trust and assurance so that when the ground beneath us begins to shake and suffering and trials and difficulties come into our lives, we will not be crushed under its weight because we believe the promises of the gospel. Promises like he is working all things for our good, including suffering. That nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And that dying is actually. Gained for us. And a hundred other promises. That Jesus died to, to secure for us. On the cross. And in our passage this morning. We see that truth. Being lived out beautifully. In the lives of Paul and Silas. That if the good news. Really is good news. Inerrantly good. Without us adding anything else to it then it must be good news on the sunny days when all is right in the world. It must also be good news when the world around us seems to be crumbling. On our darkest days, when we can barely get out of bed and put one foot in front of the other, the good news is good even on the darkest of days. Otherwise, brothers and sisters, it's not really good news for us. So with that in mind, here's, here's the big idea I want us to think about this morning. Is that the good news, it shines the brightest in the darkest places. And that includes prison cells, which is what our passage is about this morning. And it includes hospital rooms and cancer diagnosis. It includes long seasons of unemployment and depression it includes days like Mother's Day when everyone else around you is celebrating, but secretly, internally, you are weeping because you're not able to be a mother. The good news for those who believe is that the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ is always greater than the darkness that's in and around us, even when we can't, in the moment, feel it or experience it. That's why it is called good news. That's what I want us to see this morning. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, verses 19 through 34. We have it printed in your, in your bulletin as well for you. But before I read the text, because we're jumping in mid-story here, let me provide just a little bit of context first. As I mentioned a few moments ago, Paul and his ministry companions are in Philippi, in, in Greece. Luke tells us that it's a, it's a leading city in that region. And it's while they're there in Philippi preaching the gospel, proclaiming the name of Jesus, that they encounter a, a slave girl who's possessed by an evil spirit. And she follows them around for, for many days, it says. And Paul at some point gets gets to the point where he's not going to have it anymore. And so he casts this evil spirit out of this slave girl. He delivers her. But the slave girl's owners become irate become angry with him because Luke tells us that she was able to tell the future and they had gotten rich off of her ability to tell the future. So she was a fortune teller. And so they become irate with Paul and his friends. And we pick up the story in verse 19. So let's, let's read the text. It says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open... and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. There are multiple and right and appropriate ways that we could approach this passage this morning. But I want us to think about it in terms of suffering and the gospel, the good news. Because there's real suffering here. There's real suffering. Paul and Silas are brutally beaten and imprisoned. And the jailer nearly commits suicide, right? But there's also incredibly good news here. There's good news for all three of them. In this text, we, we have the gospel of Jesus shining a big, bright light in a very dark place. And it lights up the whole room, and Jesus is made much of. He's glorified. So that's what I want us to focus on. So if you're taking notes this morning, it's really straightforward. I want us to look first at Paul and Silas' suffering. Suffering. And the good news in all of that. Because as we're going to see in a minute, there is actually good news in their suffering and then second i want us to look at the jailers trusting in that good news how he is delivered in a very dark place that's where we're heading this morning suffering good news and even more good news if you look back at verses 19 through 24 i'm not going to read it again but let me just give a quick summary of what's happening here as we, just, as we just heard, Paul and Silas, we don't know what happened with Luke and, and Timothy at this point. Just focuses on Paul and Silas, but they're dragged into the marketplace because these owners of this slave girl are angry at Paul and Silas because their ability to make a profit has just gone out the window with that demon. So they're dragged into the marketplace, which was the center of public life for the city. It's where people constantly gathered. It's where events were held. And it's also the place where civil cases were tried. And they're, and they're brought before the magistrates, which in that, in, that t- in that time period, in that culture, typically were two men who were responsible for overseeing what happens in the colony. They were in charge of keeping law and order, and they were also responsible for overseeing civil cases. And so the, the slave girl's owners bring a charge against Paul and Silas that's completely unfounded completely unjust. and if you, if you picked up on it as I read the text, they, they don't even mention the real reason for why they're upset. All right, what's the real reason they're upset? They're upset because their money has just gone out the window. They can no longer make a profit off of this girl, so they're upset. But that's not the charge that they bring against Paul and Silas. So they're able to get the crowd behind them. The crowd gets in an uproar, and the magistrates, without giving them an opportunity to defend themselves, without giving them a proper trial, without hearing their side of the story, what do they do? They order that Paul and Silas be beaten with rods. This is a, what's called a, a Roman flogging or a scourging. And when, when it says beaten with many rods, Luke tells us that they were inflicted with many blows. And I don't want us to think that this is just some smack on the wrist. This isn't your mom or your dad when you were a little kid bending you over their knee and spanking you were in because you weren't behaving. But this was severe. This was brutal. This was violent. It certainly would have caused laceration, swelling, and blood on the back and the legs and the arms. But the injustice doesn't stop there. Verse 23 tells us that after they are beaten, unjustly, that they're thrown into the prison and the jailer is told to keep a close eye on them. And so what does he do? What's the jailer do in verse 24? He doesn't alleviate their pain in any way. He's a, he doesn't take it easy on them. Instead, he adds to their pain. He adds to their misery. He throws them, he, Luke tells us, he throws them into the dungeon, which is the most miserable place in the entire prison, Right? And he fastens their feet in stocks, pins them against the wall. And stocks were often used as forms of torture. Wasn't meant to make you have a great day. So this, this guy, this jailer, is not necessarily a good guy in the story at this point. This isn't the guy that you would ever think would become a Christian. His heart hasn't warmed up to the gospel at this point in the story. Things are going to change in a little bit, but at this point, he's not acting Paul and Silas as friend, but their enemy. So this is, this is where the followers of Jesus, his disciples find themselves. Falsely accused, run through a kangaroo court, brutally beaten, thrown into a dungeon and pinned to a wall. And most likely uncertain about their future. What was going to happen to them? And the question that might be rolling around in the back of your mind at this point is, why is God allowing it? It's a natural question to ask, right? I'm sure Paul and Silas were asking the same question. Why was God allowing it? Why was he allowing their suffering? Was there a meaning to what seemed to be meaningless suffering? And if we, if we just take a step back for a minute and we take an honest look at ourselves, at our own lives, we ask the same sort of questions, don't we? When we can't seem to make sense about what God seems to be doing in our trials, in our difficulties, in our loneliness. Because the danger for us when reading a passage like this, when approaching the Bible, the danger for us is that we will read this and just completely disconnect from what's happening. Because we're, that's not the kind of suffering that we are experiencing today. Most of us are not experiencing this kind of persecution. But as you know, part of being human and living in a fallen and broken world is that there is suffering. Some of you may um, be familiar with the name Venitha Rindal, And I want to read a portion of an article that she wrote back in 2015. She's written a lot about this, but... She's experienced a lot of suffering in her life. A lot of suffering that some people might be thinking, my goodness, why would God allow something like that to happen to such a good person? I I think it'll be encouraging to you. It's been encouraging to me. Let, Let me just read a little bit about her story and how she's processed these kinds of questions. This is what she said. I contracted polio long after it was supposedly eradicated. The doctor misdiagnosed my symptoms because she had never seen polio before. And the wrong diagnosis led to widespread paralysis with a childhood spent largely in hospitals marked by painful surgeries. Over 30 years later, my infant son died because the substitute doctor was unfamiliar with his heart condition. The doctor took him off his life saving machine. Within two days, my son was gone. How could I possibly reconcile these losses? They were unspeakable, preventable, unexpected. And in the face of such catastrophes, my natural question was why? Why did this happen? If God was in control, why did he allow it? Why didn't he stop it? Why, why, why? That question haunted me for years. She goes on to say, I was certain that if I had an explanation for my trials that if I could understand God's purposes in them, if I just had a reason, then I could have accepted my losses with more grace. And I've heard countless others say the same thing. That's probably true of you this morning. That if they only knew why, they would be able to move on. Then she says, while I thought that freedom would be found in answers, true freedom was actually found in surrender. I didn't need to figure it out. It didn't need to make sense to me. I didn't need to understand the details. I just needed to trust God. Trust him because he is infinitely wiser, more loving, and more purposeful than I am. He has a reason for my pain, many reasons, even when I am at a complete loss to name even one. And then the last thing, this is how she ends it. As we trust God with the things in life that we may never understand, It's in those moments that we are transformed. We may never know why we are going through trials, but we can take comfort in knowing that there is always a reason for our suffering, 10,000 reasons. Reasons that are bigger and more magnificent than anything we can imagine. One day our faith will be as sight and we will see all of God's glorious purposes in our trials. But for now, as we wait, we must trust him. There's always a why to our pain, We may never understand it in this life, but this we can know as we surrender our questions to him, God will answer us with nothing less than himself. And I just want to give a hearty amen to that. Because that's been my experience in life. When things aren't going the right way, or I don't think they're going the right way, when I experience difficulties and trials and suffering, that the natural question for us to ask is, why? Why? Paul and Silas in this story likely didn't know what God was up to. But they didn't lose hope in the gospel. They didn't stop trusting in Jesus. It was still good news to them, even in the darkest of places. Because they believed that God truly was at work. He was at work for his glory and their ultimate good. But how do I know that they didn't lose hope? How did I know how do I know that they believed that there was purpose in their suffering? How do I know that they were leaning on the sufficiency of Jesus? Where am I getting that? Look at what it says in verse twenty five. And let and let me just say before before going there, I I will admit that I am a bit of a baby when it comes to experiencing pain. And if I stub my toe on a chair or on the corner, you would think it had just gotten cut off. Because that's how bad I am with pain. I don't tolerate pain well. I don't tolerate sickness well. All you have to do is ask my wife. She will testify to that. I don't do well suffering. And I often complain about it. And all the women said amen to their husbands because typically men are not very good at dealing with pain. But it's, it's that that makes this account all the more remarkable to me. These men are in such excruciating pain. Don't know the future. In verse 25, look what it says. It says, In the middle of of all of this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Think about this. Luke, who's recounting this story, wanted to be sure that his readers knew exactly what Paul and Silas were doing in the midst of their suffering. That That was a detail that he was certain he did not want to leave out. Now, interestingly, interestingly, this is the, the first and the only time in the book of Acts where it says someone is singing. It's the first and only time where Luke says that someone is singing. And it's not when they are taking a nice warm shower in the comfort of their own home. But it's when they're in the middle of excruciating pain and misery, uncertain of the future, in a dungeon locked up, That they are doing this, trusting in God in the midst of their suffering. Now, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I bet that they were singing songs about God's deliverance and God's salvation, probably from the book of Psalms. And I bet they were singing songs about Jesus and the gospel, about how good it is how you can have joy in sorrow. And I bet they were praying for more faith, for more endurance, for trust in their suffering, that Christ Jesus would be magnified. He would be magnified in their bodies, whether by life, if they get to continue to live, or by their death, if this is the end of the road for them. I bet that's what they were praying. And in the middle of this worship service, their worship of God, and Luke tells us, remember that that other people, the prisoners who were in the room, were listening to these men singing and praying that Jesus was being exalted. In the middle of their worship, God steps in. And there's a massive earthquake and all these prisoners are set free, including Paul and Silas. And that would be a really great story, wouldn't it? If it ended right there. That... A story about how God can deliver his people out of their suffering. How he can rescue them out of their trials. And he does do that. He does do that. He does it even in the book of Acts. God does do that, but that's not where this story ends. God was up to something more. He was delivering someone out of their spiritual suffering. I like what one commentator said, and I think he's I think he's right on here. Listen to what he says. He said. The miracle of the earthquake served not to deliver Paul and Silas, but to deliver the jailer. I love that. The miracle here was not to deliver Paul and Silas from their suffering. But the ultimate reason for the miracle was to deliver someone else's eternal suffering. That's what I want us to look at now, that the jailer's deliverance, his believing in the good news. So let's look at that just briefly. Let me ask, how well do you typically respond to someone who has treated you unjustly? To someone that has wronged you? To someone who has leveled criticisms, false criticisms against you? I know for me that I don't always handle that very well. Remember, the jailer here had added more pain and suffering to Paul and Silas, not less. He wasn't acting their friend but their enemy, but... Look at, look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. This man knew what it likely meant for him if all the prisoners that he was charged with overseeing had escaped from his prison. It meant death, right? Right? His security, the thing that he was hoping in, his security, his identity identity had just been taken from him. And he's about to end his life because he can't see the point in living any longer. He's not gonna wait around for someone else to do it. So he's about to do it. And it's in that moment, right in that moment that the good news of Jesus Christ becomes incredibly compelling to him. It shines a light into his darkness. And then Paul cries out, he sees what's happening. Paul cries out, And he says to him, don't harm yourself. We're here. And just think about that. That could have been really bad news for Paul and Silas. Because they could have just walked on out of there without anybody knowing where they had gone. Because Paul, remember, we know the end of the story. Paul didn't know the end of the story. That jailer could have put them right back in those stocks. And Paul and Silas could could have suffered even more And yet, what does Paul do? Paul spares his life, which I think is an incredible thing. And he rushes in to where they are and he brings them out and he says to them, What must I do to be saved? And, brothers and sisters, that is the question, isn't it? That is the question that all of us must ask. What must I do to be saved? Now it's likely that that the jailer had heard what they had done for the slave girl. How they had delivered her from her bondage. And it's likely that he had heard of their message. that They were preaching the good news. But there's no doubt that he had watched them suffer such injustice. But miraculously, they did not pay in kind. They didn't curse their Persecutors. There's no doubt that he had heard them praying and singing to their God, that they had joy even in such misery, and that he had miraculously delivered them. And it was in that moment when he was just about to kill himself that Paul, whom he had treated so cruelly, spares his life. And all of that combined was a powerful witness to the beauty and the glory and the sufficiency of Jesus. And the gospel and of his desperate need for it. The man was about to end his life because he thought it was over. But in a moment, he's about to find his life. Listen to how they answer his question in verse 31. This is the one must of Christianity, that without this, you don't have Christ. But remember, again, this isn't this one thing and then something else, but it's this one thing And if you're a regular here at DPC, you you know that this is something that we get really excited about, that it's what we glory in, because it's our very life. Listen to what they say. Verse 31 Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. How does one become a Christian? How would you answer that question? The answer here in its simplest, purest form is by believing. By trusting. By relying on, by resting in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation, period. That is the good news. And Luke goes on to show how this man's life is radically changed by that news. Brothers and sisters, that's the power and the beauty of the gospel. As we we get ready to wrap up, We might be tempted to think that the real takeaway from this passage this morning is for us to just go and be like Paul and Silas. To suffer as they suffered. To rejoice in your suffering. To love your enemies as they love their enemies. To risk your life for the sake of the gospel. And all that's true. But we might be tempted to think that they are the real heroes of this story. Hey, look how great their faith is. But it's not about how great they are. It's not about how great your faith is or isn't. But it's about how precious and great and glorious Jesus Christ is. Let me ask, why were they able to trust God in such an awful situation when they didn't know the why or what the outcome would be? Why were they able to pray and praise God even in the darkest of places, to have joy in such sorrow? Why were they able to love someone who had treated them so cruelly? And then why was the jailer who had sinned against others, who had done so much, so much bad in his life, who didn't deserve mercy, and was about to end his life because he couldn't see a reason for living any longer? And undoubtedly, there are people in this room who feel that way at this very moment that they are struggling to figure out what's the point in living. And that's where that that man found himself. Why was he able to see light in the darkness? Good news when there was so much bad news. The answer to both of those is because the perfectly righteous son of God, the Lord himself was falsely accused and run through a kangaroo court. He himself was beaten and crucified. He himself went into the very heart of the darkness and rose from the dead in glorious light. He himself bore our sins upon his back so that you and I might be reconciled to him. So that he might reconcile his enemies, the likes of you and me, to himself, That he might secure all the promises of God for his people. Ones like we read earlier from Romans 8 and a hundred others. He died to secure for us the gospel. He suffered so that our suffering wouldn't be meaningless. And most importantly, he died to give us the greatest treasure in the universe. So that if everything around us and in us is stripped away, we have nothing else we have this one thing, and that is himself. That Jesus Christ, God, is the good news for us. So Jesus is the hero. The good news is the point this morning. So let me, let me end this morning by giving just a few quick points of application that we can draw from this passage. Some things for us to be thinking about. And the first one is to the Christian in the room and to the one who may not be a Christian yet, The exhortation this morning is the same, and that is simply to believe, to trust in Jesus alone. The good news is not only what saves us, but it is the very thing that sustains us in this life. We don't, we don't kick the gospel to the curb after we become a Christian, but it is our very life and joy and peace. That's made abundantly clear from this passage. Paul and Silas are able to rejoice in their suffering because the good news is actually good. Do you believe that? That The good news is actually good in spite of our circumstances. It's the thing that buoys us up. And for the jailer, it becomes the greatest news in all the world. So the point is the same. Believe, trust. It really is good news for us. And the second thing is... This is just an extension of the first. Is that there are some people in this room who are really suffering today. You are facing some trial, some difficulty, experiencing pain. Perhaps you're feeling fearful and anxious and uncertain about the future. Would you lean into Jesus? Would you trust him because he's trustworthy? He's at work in your pain and your suffering, though you may not in that very moment be able to experience it. Because the good news is not just good news on sunny days when all is right in the world, but the good news is good news when the world around you and in you is crumbling. Otherwise, brothers and sisters, it is not good news for us. It's in the middle of your darkness that the light of the gospel shines the brightest and God is working for your good. So cling Cling to Jesus. He is your life and joy and peace, and he will redeem every single second of your suffering in this life. He will redeem it. And if you doubt of that, just look to the cross. And I'm preaching that to myself this morning. And then the last thing is this. God used Paul and Silas's suffering not only to deepen their own faith, which it does. But God used their suffering to bring about the faith in someone else. There is perhaps no greater witness to the power of the gospel, to the sufficiency and beauty of Jesus, to a watching world, than when the people of God, the people of God who are experiencing some difficulty, some trial, some testing of their faith, that even in the middle of that, even in the midst of their sorrow, they're able to rejoice. Even in their suffering, that they are able to praise God and not to curse him. To lean into him and to trust in him in spite of their circumstances. We see that in this text. May God allow us to say that Jesus truly is enough for us. May God give us much grace to bear witness to a dark and dying world as his people. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the good news. It truly is the greatest news in all the world. And God, I pray that you would awaken faith in those who don't have faith. I pray, God, that you would bolster the faith of those in this room, God, who may feel like they're at their wit's end, who can't seem to make sense out of what has happened in their life right now. God, I I pray that you would work miracles in us today, that you would make the gospel, that you would make Jesus beautiful and glorious, that we would treasure him above all things. God, you must do that work in us. So we pray that you would, in Christ's name, amen.